Someone once said, you can tell what a man likes by what he does. You can tell what a man thinks by what he says. And then you can tell what a man's opinion is about God by the way that he prays. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians in chapter 1, and I invite you to turn with me there, that he is praying for the Christians at Colossae. And, and it's almost as if that the Apostle Paul is like a spiritual physician. And he is giving the church there at Colossae a spiritual examination. And as you would go to your doctors and you would have your physical examination, that there were certain things that he would go through and that he would begin to uh, analyze certain things. So as Paul is praying to the church of Colossae and is examining them, you can tell he's a man of God And you can tell that he is very much concerned about the spiritual condition of each individual. And so he lays it out before us. Five major requests as he is examining individuals there in Colossae. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to chapter 1. And we're going to look at those five requests, five examinations of examining the spiritual body of the church of Colossians. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of God's holy, infallible word? We're going to begin reading in verse 9. Paul, he is praying that they would be men and women of vision, men and women of vitality, men and women of victory. Listen to what he says. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I think it's interesting what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is praying for those Christians there in Colossians. And you'll find something very interesting about the Apostle Paul in his prayers. He's not praying for Aunt Bessie for her back to get better. He's not praying for Uncle Tom that he might get a job. He's not praying for physical needs, but he's praying for spiritual needs. And I think that's so interesting. So many times when we pray for the sick, and I think we should pray for the sick, but somebody says that what we're trying to do is keep a lot of people out of heaven when God really wants to take them on into heaven. And... There's nothing wrong in praying for physical needs and there's nothing wrong praying for uh, sufferings of the body. But the Apostle Paul, he is focusing upon the spiritual. And listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, I do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of of his will in all wisdom and spiritual 
understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now notice what he says in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. My, I tell you, he has summed so much up here in these few verses of Scripture of how we're to walk in the Lord and how we're to have that spiritual fit body. And I want us to examine that today. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your presence today. Thanking you for the spiritual insight that the Apostle Paul has in concerning and discerning the needs of the people there in Colossae. And Lord, as we examine those needs, we realize we too have those spiritual needs. And so we pray, dear Father, that you might speak to our hearts in a very special way. Father, we pray for your anointing. Filling us with your Holy Spirit. Using us for the glory and for the honor of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, our prayer is is that there's not a single person that would leave this building without, first of all, examining their life to see whether they're in the faith or whether they're not in the faith. And those that are in the faith, how spiritually fit that they are. Oh, Father, help us as we seek to do your will. And may the preaching of your word bring honor to you, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, such a great, great man of God. He has such a heart's desire of wanting to see people grow in in a mature fashion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe as you begin to look as he breaks down five major areas in our life, and it's not by coincidence that he breaks it down in the ways that he does. First of all, I want you to notice with me as you go back and you study verse 9, that he is saying that your life should be guided by the will of God. Your life should be guided by the will of God. You might want to take your bulletin on the back side of the bulletin and there is that little outline that I'd like for you to follow along with me. And so first of all, number one, that we'll be guided by the will of God. Now notice what he says there in uh, verse 9. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That word knowledge is an interesting Word. He's not talking about head knowledge, but he's talking about heart knowledge. Have you ever noticed that's the way that God speaks to our heart? And that's the way that God directs our lives is through our heart and not through our heads. There's a lot of people have head knowledge of God, and yet they do not have heart knowledge. As I've said before, and you've heard it said many times by preachers, a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. 
They have Christ in their head, but they do not have him in their heart. The Bible tells us that if I confess with my mouth and believe what? In my heart that God had raised him from the dead, thy shall be saved. So one of the greatest, greatest needs in the life of a believer today is to recognize and to understand that God wants to guide you by his perfect will for your life. Now, there are certain things as we think about the will of God. Well, I believe one of the greatest and safest places to be is to be in the will of God. Someone once said, I'd rather be in the darkest jungles of Africa in the will of God than to be on the throne in England outside the will of God. My friend, one of the greatest places you can be as a believer is to know that you're in the center of God's holy will. And therefore, God wants you to be guided by his will and to be directed by his will. So he tells us, first of all, there is that perceiving of his will. In other words, you're living in the will of God that will fall into a matter of place that when you're in his will, that everything else will fall into place. The Bible reminds us something as Jesus was talking about in the Lord's Lord's Prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is the will of God. The kingdom of God is, is God's will for your life. Your life should be the kingdom of God and that that kingdom has a king. And that king is giving direction and giving guidance and giving leadership in your life. And so, friend, as I want you to understand that as a spiritual, mature individual, we must have a desire of wanting to perceive his will, know his will, and to do his will. George W. Truett said something that is very interesting. He said, to find the will of God is life's greatest discovery. To know the will of God is life's greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is life's greatest achievement. And I would say amen to that. God's giving us his will that we might achieve that perfect will of God for our lives. Who do I marry as a young person? What kind of job am I supposed to uh, pursue after? What kind of school do I pursue? Am I supposed to pursue? What am I supposed to do in my life personally, spiritually, and physically? And so God says, I have a will for your life. And so we must understand that the will of God is not for select few. But my friend, it is for every single person that is listening to the sound of my voice here today. But I think it's interesting. Most Christians had rather know if Jesus Christ is going to come back tomorrow or whether to know that I am in the will of God today. Friend, I want you to understand, God has a perfect will for your life. And one of the greatest, greatest signs is that you are a mature Christian, that you're constantly seeking his will, seeking his will. And I think it's interesting. 
I think it's interesting. So many times we find ourselves in situations and in circumstances. And we'll go to and fro asking one another, what should I do? What do you think God wants me to do? And yet, ask God being the very last one to what should I be doing? He should be the very first, my friend, not the very last. What is the will of God for my life? But he goes a step further. Now I want you to notice the sequence here. He not only talks about the will of God, but then he talks about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Listen to what the Bible talks about as you go back and and look at the wisdom of God in verse 9. The Bible says that you're to be filled with the knowledge of his will and with all wisdom. Now, performing the will of God and perceiving the will of God is that process of us coming to understand the wisdom of God. Somebody might ask the question, how in the world can I know God's perfect will in my life? Have you ever stopped to think about that 95% of all that God wants us to, to do has already been told to us through the word of God? 95%, if not more, of what God wants us to do is found in the Word of God. But here's the problem is, if we're not willing to do what we do know that is the will of God, why should God be willing to tell us what we don't know? Partial obedience, my friend, is partial knowledge. And so therefore, I'm reminded as the Bible tells us in John chapter 7, verse 17. Look at this passage of scripture, if you would go back to chapter 7 and verse 17. Do we have that? Yes. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God. My friend, as I began to look at the Word of God and I began to see of how He has laid out before me the things that God would want me to do. But see, here's the thing about it. Not only what He wants me to do it, but when to do it. Have you ever thought, stopped to think about that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? Now, why did He do that? Why didn't he go out and seek and save those which are lost those 40 days and 40 nights? Because simply God wanted him to go into the desert. He had a plan. He had a purpose for his life. In other words, my friend, should I go out and 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 uh, witnessing for the Lord on a certain night? Or should I be at home, be with my family on a certain night? I believe God has a plan and a purpose and a time for each and everything. And so he's trying to show us right here. George Mueller, a great, great man of faith. He said this considering in making decisions. He says, is this the Lord's work? Is this the Lord's way? Is this the Lord's timing? And so... Friend, here we need to stop and realize that God has ordered the steps of a good man. And so he has a plan for your life. And so number one, he is trying to to help us to be guided by the will of God for my life. 
Every step of the way, the Holy Spirit who has come into my life is to guide me and to direct me and to lead me. That's what's so wonderful about the Holy Spirit is that when he comes into our lives, that he comes in for the purpose is that we're not out here doing our own thing, but that the Holy Spirit of God is guiding us and directing us to be in the perfect will and the perfect plan. Look with me again there in verse 9. We're not only to be guided by the will of God, but we're to be guarded by the wisdom of God. Now, notice what he says here. He says in verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in what? All wisdom. Wisdom. How many times have you prayed for God to give you wisdom? God, give me wisdom. See, I believe one of the greatest cares of the Lord for our life is the wisdom of God. It's taking the knowledge that we do know and to allow the Holy Spirit, the Lord himself, to guide us in all that we say and all that we do. See, it's one thing to understand the world that is around you. It's another thing to understand the world that is above you. Here, as I look at this passage of Scripture, we're living in a world of great knowledge. There's probably more PhDs today than in the history of the world. There's probably more people who have more knowledge of things today than ever before, but yet less knowledge. I mean, less wisdom as we begin to think. One of the most dangerous things that a man can have is a lot of understanding and no wisdom. You stop and you think about it today. We say one thing that we need to do is teach our children a sex education. We give them knowledge, and they have probably more knowledge about sex today than any other young person at their age in the history of the world. And yet we've not have given them wisdom how to use that knowledge. And therefore, we find ourselves in great, great problems today. Wisdom is God-given ability to handle the knowledge that God has given to us. We're so interested in our IQs, I believe that what we should be is interested in our SQs, spiritual quotas, instead of intellectual quotas. I find that people today, we look at our marriages today, and it's in a shambles, is it not? We look at our marriages today, and there's men and women that they are going out and getting married, and yet they don't have an understanding what a home is supposed to be like. You stop and you think about in our society today. We have knowledge And what are we doing? We're finding homosexuals coming together, and yet they do not have the wisdom of God, understanding that it is completely an abomination against God himself. And so therefore, what's happening, we have knowledge, but no wisdom. So the Bible says that, I pray that you may have all wisdom. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 kind of reminds me of the hour that we're living in today. In latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
you stop and you think about it for a moment, who would have ever stopped to think in our society today that there would be churches, there would be pastors that would be in agreement of homosexual marriages? Who would have ever stopped to think about it today? And yet we're finding ourselves, oh, we've got great knowledge. Medicine today probably have more been discovered in the last 20 years than in the history of the world. Knowledge. We can, we can do almost anything with knowledge, but we have so very little bit of wisdom. We need wisdom to determine truth from error. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 tells us something. Listen to this. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. One of my great desires is that God would give me wisdom. That not only that I might understand truth, but understand it from the perspective of God's truth. And to be able to, able to develop it within my life. But now notice what he does. He says, I examine you that you might know the will of God for your life. And that not only that you'll be guided by the will of God, but that you'll be guarded by the wisdom of God. It is as if God has put a protective hand upon his saints that who are seeking his wisdom and allowing his wisdom to guide him and to direct him. You ever find yourself in a situation on the job and it seems as if everything that you stand for, they stand against? Or everything that they stand for, you stand against? How do you perceive what's right and what's wrong? How do you perceive the wisdom of God? It's by through knowing the word of God and allowing the spirit of God to direct you. But number three, I want you to notice what he says. He talks about the will of God. He talks about the wisdom of God. And then he talks about the walk of God, grounded in our walk with God, with the Lord. In verse 10, listen what he says. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the order, the will, the wisdom, the walk. This is always the order of the Christian life. That I am to know the will of God, I am to experience the wisdom of God, and that I am to walk according as the Bible talks about this. And he says it should be pleasing in our walk. In other words, it's not always popular to walk in the ways that God would have us to go. I'm not here to please self, I'm not here to please society, I'm not here to please uh, Satan, but I'm here to please the Savior. And so the Lord has a way that he wants me to walk worthy in his walk with him. My friend, I believe the problem of our society today is that we've got more believers walking in the ways of the world than we have the opposite. And so therefore the Bible reminds us that we are to be pleasing in our walk. Henry Parson Crawl, founder of the Quaker Oaks, 
said this. He says, if my life can always be lived so as to please him, I will be supremely happy. And I believe that is so true. That if my life is to please him, and when it pleases him, I will be extremely happy. No matter what others may think or what others may say. But it's a productive work within my life. Walk comes before work. I believe that one of the greatest desires that God wants us to is to have that daily walk with him. You think about the illustration of Enoch in the Bible. The Bible says that he walked with God. And he walked with him in such a fashion that people realized that he was a man of God. My friend, how is your walk with the Lord today? Is it is a, a walk that is pleasing to the Lord? Can people look at your life and say, there goes a man, a woman of God, that their walk is in accordance to the word of God? And then, of course, he talks about that this walk, John chapter 15, verse 5. Listen to this passage of scripture. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. There is that abiding. That when I come to know Christ as my Savior, that I am abiding with him and he is abiding with me. And as I am abiding with him, the Bible says that there will be fruit within my life. A walk without a work is worthless. D.L. Moody said this, which I think is so important to understand. He says, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. In other words, the word of God should be bound in shoe leather. That I am walking according to the will of God for my own life. There is a progressing in our, our walk and in our worship. Listen to what he says there in verse 10. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God. That as I began to abide in him and as I am walking with him and as I am progressing with him, that I find myself worshiping him. That my life should be a lifestyle of total worship and be a lifestyle of total relationship with him in a day-by-day basis. But I want you to see something else. Look with me and go back to verse 11 just for a few moments. The Bible says in verse 11 of this passage of scripture, it says, strength with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Have you stopped to think about this? Billy, Grant, Billy Sundays made this statement that I think is so true. Sad, but true. He says if the average Christian was as strong physically as he is spiritually, most Christians would be intensive care unit in the hospitals. Can you stop and you think about that for a moment? Well, you stop and you think about it for a moment. How often do we eat the word of God? The Bible says it's the bread of life. How often do we drink from the living waters? If we 
participated physically in our daily nutrients as we do spiritually, we would be anemic and we would be poor and weak and we'd be finding ourselves abandoned in our own spiritual, physical life. He is saying that you'd be strong in power. It is an an insult to the deity of God to think that we can do the work of God in the strength of the flesh. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? To think that we can do the work of God in our flesh. I don't know. Maybe it's me for some reason. But it just seems like there's a dull spirit here tonight, this morning. Am I missing something? Maybe it's me. It just seems like that all of a sudden it just kind of gone sour. But you're saying I'm still the Spirit of God is speaking. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> there for a moment I thought that y'all had, had 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 cut out on me there for a moment. But uh, maybe it's just the work of the devil. And just speaking the truth and the devil is trying to just distract me because all of a sudden I just felt very distracted from let's go to the Lord in prayer okay let's go to the Lord in prayer father in Jesus name I just sense that Satan is trying to hinder and hamper of what you are trying to tell us here today but we rebuke Satan and all the forces of evil by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ And so, Father, I pray that you will open up the scriptures and, Lord, that you will pour out your power upon us like we have never had before. As I think about talking about being girded by the work of God, that we're to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, that is our heart's desire, is that the Spirit of God might have control of our life. And Lord, I just ask you that today that your Holy Spirit may exercise his power. I'm reminded of what the scripture tells us in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by my might nor my power, but by the spirit. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think about the Holy Spirit of God coming upon our life. The Bible tells us that after the Spirit of God has come upon our lives, that you become what? A witness. You shall receive power to become a witness. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our life as a matter of fulfilling God's will for our life. Have you ever stopped to think about it? In the book of Ephesians where it says... That I am to, I am to be filled with His Holy Spirit, not be drunk with wine, but be filled with His Holy Spirit. Have you ever stopped to think about why that is such a comparison? That as, as the Spirit of God comes upon my life, that I am to walk, I am to talk, I am to act, I am to demonstrate the power of God in and through my life. 
Do you realize that sometimes that the only Bible that some people will ever read is your life? Did you realize that the only time that some people will ever hear the truth of the Word of God is by your life? By the way that you walk, by the way that you talk, and it's by the strength of the Holy Spirit that gives you that ability to live that life that is so pleasing to Him. There are people out there today that are longing, longing for something supernatural take place within their life. They're longing that supernatural take place within the life of their church. And so the Bible reminding us here, it's not by my spirit, it's not by my power, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I am to walk in His power. But now I'm not only to walk in His power, but I want you to go back to that passage of Scripture just for a moment. I don't only be strong in power, but I'm to be strong in patience. Now that word patience literally means the, to refer to a grace under trial. Ability to bear under pressure. One thing that happens in our society today, that there's a lot of believers today that are under a lot of pressure. And you can cave under that pressure. But God gives us power to persevere under that pressure. Listen what he says there in verse 11. He says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Long-suffering. How do we respond to difficult situations? Have you ever had problems responding with difficult people? <laughs> There's some people that always has a negative attitude. They like they have been winged on a dill pickle. They always have a negative response. Have you ever seen some of these people that, that no matter what you say, it's always the opposite? Heard about this one guy one time. He was pushing his baby carriage. And the baby was just pitching a fit. I mean, he was pitching a fit. And and there was this lady that was watching this gentleman. And this gentleman was said, Now, George, calm down, George. George, everything's going to be all right. Calm down. She was so impressed. She was so impressed of how this guy was so calm under pressure. And she said, sir, I just want to tell you how much uh, uh, I appreciate you being so calm under pressure. And she said, even though little George over there is pitching a fit, you are so calm. So said, his name's not George. My name's George. His name is Ted. <laughs> But there are some people that Satan just happens to put in our pathway sometimes to distract us. And to by distracting us, it keeps us from being all that God would have us to be. It may be a wife. It may be a husband. It may be a co-worker. It may be an individual that we come in contact with. But it seems like they always rub us the wrong way. But yet, 
Paul is saying here. I think I'm so grateful that you're strong in perseverance and that you have the joy of Christ. But he goes a step further as you look at that passage of Scripture. He says not only strong in perseverance, but strong in praise. Listen to what he says there in verse 11. For all patience and long-suffering Look at look at this. With joy. See, it's one thing to undergo great perseverance and undergo great, tremendous amount of pressure, but to have joy about it. The joy of the Lord. We should be joyful in our patience. One thing to go through a fire, another thing to go through a fire with a smile on your face. I'm amazed as I look at some of our people who've gone through some real difficult physical hardships. And when I listen to them, I listen and I can almost always hear a word of praise. A word of praise. I think about Brother Ken Wonder Jim, for example. Brother Ken has gone through a major, major ordeal. And I can not only speak of others, Brother Ron Carter, Brother Tim. And I can just go on and on and on and on of some of these people who've gone through major, major physical infirmities. And yet in the middle of their physical infirmities, I can always sense there's always a word of praise. God has been good to me. God has watched over me. God has taken care of me. It could be worse. And I could go on and on and on. But I hear that constantly. You know what that does to me? I come away from there encouraged. I come away from there and I think about, here I am complaining about some of my little heartaches and my little trials and my little difficulties. And come find out that it's nothing compared to what some of these guys have. But they're words of praise. You know what that shows me? It shows me maturity. It shows me that they have passed their spiritual tests. That God has allowed them to go through those infirmities in order to speak and to bless others. So I'm so grateful. Heard about this guy one time. He and his wife, they fussed and fought all the time. And it seems like they could hardly stand one another. And uh, she came down with cancer. And she was going to die. And it looked like she was about to die uh, almost any time. But she made a request. She told her husband, she said, she said I, want you to make a re- I want to make a request. And that is that when I die, that you will ride to the cemetery with my mother. Well, he, he liked his, her mother about as well as he liked her. He looked at her and he said, I can't do that. She said, no, I want you to do it. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I'll do it. He said, it's going to take every bit of the joy out of the trip. That's pretty sad, isn't it? That's pretty sad. But you know, that's exactly the attitude of a lot of people. 
That's exactly the attitude. I am amazed at the attitude of a lot of Christians today. That they have claimed to quote, spiritual, and yet in the daily walk, they say such stupid and terrible things as that man says. Horrible. When someone speaks to you in a cross way, how do you respond? When somebody gives you a cold shoulder, how do you respond? When somebody acts ugly to you, how do you respond? Perfect example. When you go out to eat on a Sunday after church and your um, waiter or waitress are slow in getting your food there, how do you respond? I had a waitress tell me one thing. One time she said, the worst people I've ever tried to wait on is Christians. And then they'll try to tip you by giving you a track when they leave. How do you respond? Did you know the world is watching you? Did you know that the lost people are watching you? How do you respond? Because by the way that you respond is by the way they're going to accept or reject the gospel that you portray. So the Apostle Paul was telling us, he says, I want you to understand. I want you to be girded by your work, strong in praise. I want you to be strong in perseverance. I want you to be strong in your patience. I want you to be strong in your power. But then last of all, he says something. He kind of wraps it all together. Look with me, if you would, in verse 12. He says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He wraps it all up in praise. I heard a story one time. About a hundred years ago, there was a shipwreck in Lake Michigan. And there was this young ministerial student who was a strong swimmer. And he was there where that shipwreck was at. And he went out to try to rescue those. Out of that, out of 400 people, only 98 people survived that shipwreck. He personally brought in 18 people himself. Rescued 18 people. Later on, a newspaper reporter was talking to him, and he says, when you think back upon that experience, he said, what do you think of? He says, out of those 18 people, not one single person thanked me. I wonder how many times as we've seen how the Lord Jesus Christ have given us his will, given us his wisdom, given us the ability to be a part 
of his work. How many times we've stopped to thank him and praise him and to honor him and to give him glory. My friend, did you realize that's what praise is all about? Praise is my lifestyle, thanking him, honoring him, and giving him glory. I want to ask you a question today. How's your spiritual checkup? Have you been following the will of God for your life? Have you been following and understanding the wisdom of God? Are you demonstrating and doing the work of God in your life? Are you grateful for the ways of God for your life? I must admit there's times in my life that I have failed to give him allegiance and give him the praise that he should should receive. But you know, our Christian life is that day-by-day process of walking and growing and maturing in his way. Father, in Jesus' name, we've come together today just to allow ourselves to be examined by you. And Lord, I just ask you that the Holy Spirit of God might take that searchlight and that he might examine us in a fashion that he might reveal to us secret sins, hidden sins, pride, greed, all those sins that would hinder us from fulfilling God's perfect will to be demonstrated in our life. Lord, if there's one here today that which we fully believe that they are, that have never come to a saving knowledge of Christ, Lord, that they would come and experience that saving grace as we have sung about here today and experience salvation. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the lost, but also I pray for the backslidden. Lord, if we're not as close today with the Lord as we've ever been, Lord, we've backslidden. We've drifted away. Father, I ask you that you would encourage us to repent and to turn to you. There's people here today that you have led to become a part of the fellowship of our church. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them, joined by baptism, by letter, by statement. However the Lord would lead them, it is our prayer that they would come and be willing to fulfill God's will for their life. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts and for telling us your perfect will for our lives. In Jesus' name.